Hey everybody, this is Paul from Make Teaching Sustainable, and I want to welcome you to the Make Teaching Sustainable podcast. Today, Alex Tugas joins us on the Make Teaching Sustainable podcast. Alex is in his 10th year of teaching, most recently in a Title I International Baccalaureate Middle School teaching 7th grade language and literature. Alex loves reading and teaching diverse middle grade and young adult literature, and in his free time, Alex enjoys indoor cycling, hiking, and exploring small towns. Alex lives in Annapolis, Maryland with his wife and two cats. And with that, let's meet Alex. Alex, hi, how you doing? Hey Paul, thanks for having me on. I'm so I'm so stoked you're here. It's been it's been a minute since we chatted. It is. It is. So for everyone listening, um, Alex and I actually spoke back in 2021 when I was conducting the Sustainable Teaching Project, and Alex offered to be a guest on the podcast today. So thanks, thanks, Alex, for participating in 2021 and for for joining me today. It's, it's good to see it. Good good I did not time. remember that was 2021. Wow. Okay. I know. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it was two whole years ago. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, well, before we jump into what you believe to be unsustainable or sustainable, um, let's start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What's your story? What's your role? And what keeps you coming back to teaching? Yeah. So I... This will be my 10th year going into teaching, which is crazy to think it's been a whole decade almost. Um, And I've had a variety of different experiences. So I've done single sex education. I've done um, boarding school education. And then I've done a couple different um, public school experiences, including my most recent experience, which is at a Title I IB school. IB, for those who don't know, is an international baccalaureate um, and really focused on like inquiry-based teaching, which is really cool. And then what keeps me going, honestly, is the students and colleagues, right? It's always coming back to relationships you form with kids, students reaching out later, um, coming back to visit, and colleagues who are just super dedicated to work that, you know, is so valuable, but often very, very hard. So that's what that's what keeps me going. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that or one of the things that came through in many conversations back in 2021 was this idea of like community and connectedness, yes. camaraderie in terms of making people want to stay in teaching. Right. Because, I mean, the reality is. We don't get into teaching for the money. We just don't because there is none. <laughs> and, um, you know, we do it because we there, there's something intrinsic about it that we really love and value and want to be a part of, you know. And yeah. that's what I think makes a lot of people keep coming back is the relationships and, and the connectedness in the community. Um, so, like, given, given that, um, that was a really, I think, a really... That sounds like something that's contributed to your own sustainability, right? Having those people connections. What What do you think right now? And it's it's interesting to talk to you two years later because I would be interested to hear, you know, how your thinking has changed since you answered these questions for the first time. Yeah. But what about teaching currently? Conditions, practices, resources. What do, What do you believe is unsustainable currently? 
Yeah, so I think there's been a lot of changes in education over the past few years because I remember talking to you. So 2021 would have been like that kind of hybrid instruction year to like back in person. Um, And I think some of these expectations that were put on teachers could definitely be unsustainable. So I definitely think that, you know, that kind of like teachers are heroes rhetoric was amazing, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, especially, you know, how people really just kind of rolled with the punches, adapted technology, banded together. I think that's awesome. I think kind of going beyond that and keeping that pace up over the long term can be really difficult for people, especially um, when they're, you know, are other factors, you know, family and friends that, that get neglected, you know, during the year. Um, Some other things that I was thinking about was just time being a limiting factor. And I don't know if that's really anybody's fault in a sense, but I think just how our days are built and how systems are built makes it sometimes difficult to to do all of these competing things at once. Um, You know, I'm often finishing grading or planning at home um, or other things that, you know, I willingly take on. um, But, but that can, can really weigh on people for sure. And then finally, um, I think sometimes um, with regard to student behaviors, particularly, I think we all, I don't know how to put it, but almost like got out of the practice of doing school for a little bit with COVID. And I think particularly in middle school, when there are all of these challenges occurring, um, some of the skills and um, like practices that are usually put into place in elementary school, students may have missed or just kind of the trauma placed on our families and community um, and teachers kind of taking that on. Um, you know, being the generous people that we are can sometimes feel like a lot as well. Yeah. I mean, I hear this a lot in my work as an, as a coach that kids just are coming into school with a different set of skills. Right. And some of that is some of that's academic, but some of that is having to teach kids just social skills or school skills that they didn't learn because they were out of, out of the classroom um, for or, or inconsistently in the classroom, let's say for periods of time. Um, the, the, you mentioned time. You also mentioned this sort of teacher martyr, teacher savior complex, which to me, those two things feel like very related, you know, um, because, because of the teacher savior, teacher martyr complex, we kind of feel like it's almost just like expected that teachers just aren't given time during the day and that they should be using their weekends and nights planning and grading and, you know, doing all of the other paperwork. Um, Do you, do you see that connection as well? Yeah, I definitely do. And, and, you know, some like other activities I take on willingly or, or things that are, you know, there are like stipended opportunities um, and that's different obviously, but, but kind of just like the day to day, especially when you're beginning of, you know, it's not like you can kind of slack off at the office on a Monday, like you got to be ready right at the beginning of the day 
totally. you know, and be prepared for students, like as if you're presenting to like several meetings throughout the day. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, that means that other kind of times can be eaten up. Um, but I mean, that's also where having colleagues to lean on and vent to and just like go through it together is really amazing because you have that balance. And when you have a good team, you can kind of share that load and that's super key. Something else that just made me think of this, a few people have mentioned this um, to me. So during COVID on Wednesdays in our district, we had basically asynchronous time. So I think we had like office hours for kids and like PD for teachers and time to plan and grade. And people love that just kind of time, like focused time. And then I feel like, you know, some of that could translate back into the year, whether it's like a Wednesday or a Friday or whatever, just giving people time. And then maybe your time with students is more valuable for everybody. But I also understand kind of the way our society is set up to not have a full five day week you know, it's difficult on families too. So, so that's also interesting. Are you saying this is something that is, that this is something that's currently happening? No, it did happen briefly. Oh, it happened COVID. Briefly. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is tricky, right? That like the, the burden that places on families when, when there's an extra day off of school. Um, but, you know, I have heard of some, some other creative solutions for this, you know, that like some schools have sort of like a tap in tap out thing where like coaches or interventionists or other people who don't have a self-contained classroom can tap teachers in and tap teachers out to give them some release time. Have you heard of any other creative solutions? I definitely heard of that. I think that's great when you can work together to, to fill that in. And, you know, I've had, I've been on the receiving end of that, which is great. Um, yeah, I just think, you know, there's been solutions like early releases sometimes for students or like late arrivals for PDs. I just think, you know, if we want to be really focused on what we're doing and, you know, other things are occurring at the same time, sometimes our brains are pulled in different directions. Like I'm thinking when we go back to school, like it's really important to give people time to set up classrooms, obviously, but it's also important to kind of, you know, have whole group meetings, have team meetings, have, you know, um, training on new technology, but on the flip side, some teachers just want to get back in and, and have their time too. So again, it's, it's, I guess, getting creative with, with ways to do that. Yeah. It's getting creative with ways to do that. And I guess also maybe, rethinking how we use our time sometimes too, you know, I think we do sort of, uh, how do we, how do I say this? Um, I think sometimes we think of school in terms of, well, they're here for, you know, seven or eight hours, right. And they need to be consistently cognitively engaged for all of those seven or eight hours. Right. And that makes us believe that we need a teacher in front of the kids for that entire seven or eight hours. And it makes me wonder, you know, like, what does free time look like? What does 
rest time look like? What does like independent study look like, especially as you get into middle and middle and high school? Because those would be great times for teachers to have some release, you know, where it's like they, the kids have space to like get their work done. They can do the office hours thing at school. Right. But then teachers also have, have extra time to plan, prepare, to engage in PD if they need to. It just seems like there are solutions that exist within a five-day work week if we allow ourselves to be a little more creative and then challenge what we think school should be. You know what I mean? Definitely. I know there's so many like ideas out there and, you know, there's some of like the disruptors rhetoric, which sometimes makes me a little nervous. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then there's, you know, conversations about different types of schools and, and different things. But, you know, if we're talking about the vast majority of kids, which are, you know, served by K-12 public schools, how can we, yeah, how can we value the personnel? You know, how can we, because I think at all levels, people are feeling it, you know, from teachers' aides and secretaries to teachers to administrators, everybody's, I think, operating at this like frenetic pace that, you know, I like a fast paced life. And I I think that's what attracts me to teaching. I like the, you know, moving along, but I think sometimes it's also valuable to like stop, reflect and take a breath too. Totally. I mean, I think because people can't do that, right. Because it's so hard to stop and reflect, to take a breath, even just to like chill for a sec, right? That is, there's obviously a number of factors that are contributing to that where people feel like they can't stop and take a breath. Um, But what it's doing is it's causing people to be like, forget this, you know, like I can't, I can't do this anymore. And some people, you know, some people are able to stay in education and do other things, right? And a lot of times it is really great teachers who, who, we want to keep in the classroom if they want to stay. Right. Um, But there's not really like a pathway for them to be able to do that while like, I I'm just thinking I'm, I'm, I think I'm projecting some of my own experiences on here, but like my last job, I was teaching third grade. I was academic chair. So I was like a team lead. I was diversity coordinator and I was assistant or I was a, sorry, a co-director of the assistant teacher program at my school. In addition to just being a third grade teacher, right? Not just, but like in addition to fulfilling my, like what I was hired to do, which is be a third grade teacher. So I basically had like, you know, four jobs or I had four hats at the school and I did it because I was like, well, I want to advance in my career. You know, like I want to have leadership experience. I want to, I want to be able to do more than teach. You know, I want to, I want to make an impact outside of my classroom too. And there just weren't any pathways for me to do for exactly. me to grow, you know? Um, and it's like another issue in teaching that we're sort of expected teachers are sort of expected to like get into their position, right. And then stay in that position for 30 years and never really do anything else when that really doesn't happen in most professions, right. In most professions, there are like sustainable avenues for people to become leaders in their field. Um, and it, and it makes me wonder, you know, like, because time is, is such is is such a challenge like how, how do we how do we make it sustainable for people who want that kind of experience who want to become teacher leaders to get that without burning themselves out and without causing them to leave the classroom altogether 
Exactly. And I just think, you know, school is about, you know, those connections that you make in the classroom. And I just also feel that that's so important. That's like the bedrock of what we do. But I also feel like, you know, myself included, I work with a lot of perfectionists <laughs> who want to do everything, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself and we want to improve this and we want to go at this avenue and, you know, we see these issues and we want to tackle them. And I think that's really important too, to kind of have that go-getter size. But then again, that piece of if we're going to do this for the long haul, you know, what are some things that we can put in place to, to, you know, keep good people there. And I mean, one of them is, is financial, I think. And that's, you know, making teaching a sustainable career path, you know, to have a family and to, um, you know, live where you want to work is very key where I live um, and work and all of these things is a financial piece. And I think, um, you know, Maryland with the national board program is rewarding that um, piece of it. And I'm hoping to see other things to kind of, you know, allow teachers to, to live a quality life, especially if we're going to work so hard. Can you say more about what national board is doing to reward that? So, yeah, my understanding is national board, um, works with states. And so, um, Maryland just passed a very important education law called the blueprint, the blueprint for Maryland's future, um, and that's kind of being rolled out, you know, and subject to like the legislative process and, and all of that. But the piece that directly affects me and a lot of my colleagues is, you know, a national board certified teacher in Maryland can make um, an extra $10,000 a year on top of their salary, um, as well as at um, certain mostly title one schools can make an extra 7,000 a year on top of that. So, you know, for those of us who are in those schools, that's really life-changing money. I've been telling people um, to have 17,000 a year added to your salary plus other benefits as you recertify. Um, So I feel like these things, these types of things are going to reward classroom teachers. And I think those are the kind of incentives we need. That's mind blowing. It is. And I think Maryland is a leader on this, what I'm seeing. I mean, I don't hear that ever. So I, they probably are. Um, yeah, there was a lot of study. There's a lot of studies done about and you've been through the process and yeah. I've been through the process awaiting scores. And like my friend says, it's the best PD she's ever done. And I would probably echo that, um, especially the video critique and the video part. Like, I really think that's key. Absolutely. I mean, I always say it was the best PD I ever did. Like, it's just, I mean, it is the epitome of like job embedded. Um, It's, you have to be just super detail oriented and really just understand there's a lot of intentionality right behind what you're doing. Um, But I was, I was, I remember feeling disappointed at the time because my school district, they paid for me to do it, but they had just gotten rid of the financial incentive to do it. Um, and I did it not just, you know, I did it because I was wanting to just get the certification. But, um, you know, to think that, to think about how transformative it was in my career and just my thinking about teaching 
And then to think that people, you know, put all that work into it, right? And then there really is no benefit other than just having the thing on your resume. It just, I think it speaks to how we undervalue teaching as a as a knowledge profession in our country, right? And I think it speaks to the fact that obviously people in Maryland really do value teaching as a knowledge-based profession um, because they're really investing in it. Yeah, I was, you know, we worked very hard, you know, especially the teachers unions and, and other groups to get this to the finish line. And we have a, yeah, we have a governor and legislature that's really pro public education. And yeah, I feel like that, those are things that say, Hey, we value this. Don't feel like you have to put your dues in the classroom and then move on up if you don't want to, you know, if your specialty is your content and your relationships with students, like, please stay, you know, and we'll reward you for it, especially at some of these schools that, you know, that need experienced people and need people who are committed, you know, um, to the community. And so, yeah, I was so impressed by that. And it sounds like, you know, different states are kind of following suit with different um, policies, but yeah. And I'm trying to brainstorm other ways that, you know, we can make this attractive and make this sustainable um, and really value education because, The other thing is I grew up with people who were like, oh, those lazy teachers, they get their summers off, they get a break every eight weeks. And now I'm looking at it and like, bro, just spend one day at a middle school with me just to see what exactly is going on. And and the fact that I work with some of the most dedicated people probably this country has to offer in terms of the workforce, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think about this a lot that like some people will say, right? Like if, well, if you want to be paid more, then just don't go into teaching. Like you chose to go into teaching. And so, you know, and you knew that it wasn't going to pay a lot. You knew that, you know, you knew that this is how it was and you chose to do it anyway. And it's like, well, that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel right. You know, one, it doesn't feel right. It feels like kind of like blaming people for the fact that like, it's blaming teachers for the value system of our country, right? Because the reality is, right? Like I am, the work I do is, and the work you do and the work all teachers do is no less important or no less challenging than, than that of like, and I'm going to make a big statement here, but no less challenging than that of like a doctor or an engineer, right? Like it's like, and those are two professions that are are paid really well. I think you have to be wicked smart to be a good teacher. It's core belief for me, right? But the reality is like, it's, they're different kinds of smart, right? It's a different kind of smart if, to be a doctor. It's a different kind of smart and skilled to be an engineer. And it's a different kind of smart and skilled to be uh, a teacher, but the reality is our society doesn't value teaching. And that's why we don't put the money into it because there's, there's, there's so much money out there. There's so much money out there and we put it towards the things that we value, right? That's how you figure out what a society values. To me, it's so clear that like, we just don't value teachers and teaching in the way we should. Clearly Maryland is starting to do that, but like most, most States don't, don't see it that way. And it's really, it's just really disheartening. It is. And I think everybody has a long way to go in that. Um, 
you know, but just it's so embedded, I feel like, in the history of this country, um, you know, and and the fact that it's a female dominated profession, I think, is part of it as well, um, that it's, you know, valued less than other things. And also, I feel like there's so much money in things that don't produce anything. Like I think of like hedge funds and derivatives, not that I really understand all of that, but you know, just the idea of like, you know, kind of being with children and training children and learning from them as well, I think is such a core thing. And, you know, I think people are starting to wake up to that a little bit more, but it's like, okay, I feel like teachers and nurses are like brothers and sisters on the front lines of, of these things that, that, you know, really, you know, have to demand more respect and, and hopefully it's coming. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, let me ask you this question then. What, what do you think, what else do you think needs to change or what do you, what do you hope for next? Maybe if it's, Maybe you could just hope for Maryland. Like, what do you hope Maryland does next to continue blazing this trail? Or what do you hope to see nationwide? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of policies that have to come, you know, starting at the local state and federal level. I think, you know, part of it is is like, who we value and who we vote for and what kind of platforms are, are being had for public education. I think things like, you know, teacher training programs at all different types of colleges and universities are really important. I think um, I'm starting to see that people are um, paid for student teaching. I kind of went another route because I didn't get certified right away. Um, but like things like that to get people like with these paid internships, um, you know, increasing diversity in education, particularly at, at these schools that are Title I and, and, you know, students who need teachers who look like them. All of that is so key. And I think, you know, there has to be like a strong, sustained will to do this. Um, and... I think part of it is like getting the boots on the ground to convince people, you know, the value of this. And I guess ultimately you have to kind of ask what kind of society you want, right? Because if something like 90 to 95% of our children are educated in public schools, that means these are our students that need to be college and career ready. They need to be like productive members of a democracy. They need all of these things that are really key. And teaching is, is the foundation of all of it. Not to toot our own horn too much, but (laughs) I think it's true. I mean, I think it's true too. And it's, it's a lot of people will say that, but they don't recognize necessarily that there's also ancillary systems, right. That are supporting education that are failing education. And it's, I think what you said before is, is spot on that, you know, this is a historically female dominated profession. There is something about taking care of kids is sort of seen as less than, you know, other professions and, you know, and, and so what ends up happening, right. Is that, that teaching education in general, it becomes sort of this, this scapegoat or it becomes this, you know, it's a kind of an easy target 
when in reality, you know, the problems we see in schools aren't, aren't just because there are unsustainable practices or unsustainable factors within schools. There's also these unsustainable factors, practices, systems in, in the, in the systems that support schooling, right? Like healthcare or, you know, just like parents having access to jobs that pay them well enough. So they don't have to work three jobs. Like it's, it's so, it's so complicated, but it's so easy to pin it on teaching. Um, I think because of the way we view the profession in general, in part because it's a female dominated profession, but also because childcare is just seen as something, you know, you don't have to be that smart to do, even though we know that that's, that's not true. Oh yeah, that's a good point. An unfortunate one, but yeah, I think that's exactly it. And that, you know, schools have been kind of tasked with putting like these band-aids on huge societal problems. And I think that's kind of the crux of it, where we have really good and giving and talented people who are trying their best um, with lots of societal challenges that can't be handled just by the schools alone. And I think that's really where we need to kind of shift and start to think about, hey, how are we going to structure a society where education is an important piece, but can't necessarily solve everything itself? Totally. Well, that's a big question to leave to leave on. Um, but I think that's all the time we've got for today. Um, I I really appreciate you coming on, Alex, and chatting with me again and following up two years after. I still can't believe it was two years ago that we chatted for the first time. Um, if you want, you can tell listeners where if you're on if you're on uh, Instagram and Twitter, if you want people following you, you can tell them. Um, if not, we can say we can say goodbye. Yeah, so I am, I don't have a teaching Instagram, but I am A2GIS14 on Instagram, or I do more education things on Twitter. That's um, AJ Teaches. Um, so, but I, yeah, I'm committed to this work. And Paul, thank you so much for, you know, advocating for teachers and congrats on the book. <laughs> oh, thanks. I really, truly appreciate you taking time to chat with me today and uh, hope we can do this again soon. Yes, thanks so much. And there you have it. That concludes this week's episode of the Make Teaching Sustainable podcast. A very special thank you to Alex for joining us this week. And just as a reminder, if you'd like to follow along, you can follow me, Paul, on Instagram and Twitter at Sustain Teaching. And you can also head to MakeTeachingSustainable.org to learn more about the Sustainable Teaching Project and how you might be able to make teaching more sustainable at your school. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can email Paul at MakeTeachingSustainable.org. Have a great week, y'all. Thanks for tuning in.